This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. All right, Touch Em All podcast. Let's dive right in here. A little uh, extra episode this week because Derek Wetmore is down at Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers sitting in a press box as we speak. Uh, I will be joining him next week down uh, doing doing five radio shows with Judd Zolgab. We'll have a couple in-person Touch Em All pods. All kinds of coverage on 1500ESPN.com of Twins Spring Training. And Derek, you have posted... A 25-man roster update. How much different? We're going to go through each position group here and uh, get your thoughts as pitchers and catchers report on uh, on the 25-man roster projection. But how much different is this than the one you projected earlier this winter? How much have you tweaked things before seeing anything? <laughs> yeah, I should have. Well, this is a little bit peek behind the curtain, how the sausage is made. But I, I forgot to count how many roster spots I changed. But just off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, I can think of at least three that changed. I know I swapped out two bullpen. Uh, I've got another bench player, and I think I might have changed my mind on the backup catcher, uh, although I'd have to go back and look at that, to be honest with you. Well, let's let's just dive right in here. I'll throw out, I'm going to go through your, and if people want to follow any updates to this 25-man roster, Derek will have them throughout spring training on 15. I should say, Phil, I I should uh, clarify that this is not like, the NFL mock drafts where they just have like 75 versions and are intentionally changing them up and doing stupid things all the time for like whatever you want to say, whether it's for clicks or just to say like, Oh, I had six mock drafts where I did have that guy going number one overall. Well, good for you. (laughs) But all I'm saying is that like, I did tweak it. I got some new information talking to people. There's not a lot that I saw honestly in spring training um, before I published that. So that wasn't really an influence but the Twins also did make some tweaks to their roster, and I heard that they might not even be done making tweaks to their roster. So it's kind of more like version 2.0, but it's it's legitimate. It's not just me throwing 25 more names against the wall to say, aha, see, I did have it right one time. And then much like a lot of the NFL mock drafts, the, this will be suspiciously unavailable on our website after yes. uh, opening day yes. rosters are announced. April 3rd, this will be gone <laughs> and pulverized from web history. Trust me. <laughs> Uh, it'll be cleansed from Google as well. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's start with your projected five-man rotation, and uh, I'll just throw the names out, and then you can give sort of your thoughts, and we'll bat it back and forth, and we'll go to the next position group. Irvin Santana, Phil Hughes, Trevor May, Kyle Gibson, Hector Santiago. So one lefty and no Jose Barrios in your five-man starting rotation. Yep, I know you're not going to like that. Okay. I knew uh, 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 that that was going to be probably – it was controversial on my first one, too. I left Barrios out. Um, there are a couple of reasons for it, and we can dig into it. But I actually – in January when I wrote that, I was kind of feeling weird about it. I was kind of like, man, how can the Twins pitching staff be so bad 
and then not count on a significant workload from Boreos next year as they try to improve. But the more, I mean, I spent a month still kicking this around. It's sitting in my subconscious where probably my smarter work happens because I'm not actually thinking about it. When I start thinking, that's when you run into all kinds of trouble. Um, but I, I still, I think it's defensible position to say that Boreos opens the year as Rochester's opening day starter, not Minnesota's. Because what we saw from him last year in the big leagues was just like, you know, concrete evidence that he was not ready to pitch in the big leagues. Whether you want to call it nerves or whatever it was, I'm saying when he needed a strike with his fastball, he had a minuscule chance of pulling that off. Like, he found himself behind hitters all the time. He wasn't striking out as many guys. He was giving up a lot of runs. He was giving up hard contact. And he just didn't have command. It's not to say that he didn't have control, because every once in a while he'll hit a spot. But I want someone in my starting rotation, if I'm the Twins, who's going to go 200 innings. Of course, that's the hope for anybody. But if if you're counting on someone from opening day, you're counting on a guy who can do exactly what he's trying to do to the hitters. There are some pitchers who get by with being effectively wild, but somebody like Barrales, I don't see that being the real end game here. He's got a great fastball, velocity-wise. I love his two-seam fastball. It moves so much. Like, I think you can start that two-seamer on the hip of a left-hander and let it run all the way across the plate, and you're going to make some lefties look awfully stupid if you can command that pitch. He couldn't command that pitch last year. That's a huge problem because after that, you're talking about a cascading effect where his breaking ball suddenly is not as effective, and his changeup, which I actually think is really good, and I was impressed by how much he trusted it in certain spots last year, the changeup playing off a non-fastball doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. You Correct. can't just be a one pitcher as a changeup. So to me, it all starts with the fact that Boreos is, I don't want to call it immaturity because I think he's got a great head on his shoulders and saying immature casts the wrong shadow. But I think his inexperience in the big leagues showed through in a really big way. And what I saw when I watched Boreos pitch last year in the big leagues was a guy who's just always been so much better than his competition that he can just open up and let it fly in the minor leagues. I don't think that's going to work for him at the next level. If he wants to be a legit mid-rotation or you know two, three starter in the big leagues, I think it has to start with fastball command, and I just haven't seen evidence of that yeah, yet. Yeah, the, the bizarre thing is, you, and, I, and I, admittedly I haven't seen a ton of him in full-game action in the minor leagues, uh, just yeah. just kind of watching through milb.com and seeing him in spring training a few times, but yeah. just but just listening to people talk about him, he it's it's not like he has these chronic control problems that Alex Meyer right. had, right. where he couldn't find his release point in the minor leagues. It's a mystery as to why in those three and zero counts where the bases are loaded and the batter is not swinging, why he can't throw strikes. So that leads me to believe that it's more nerves. Uh, sure. it's, it's some sort of a lack of trust in himself or his surroundings. And the reason why I would put him in this rotation, I, listen, I, I'm not going to fight you too much on this because if he starts the year in AAA and comes up in May, it, whatever, you know, if that gives you yeah. an extra month to showcase Irvin Santana and then you trade him, um, yeah. you know, it's, it, Barrios will be up when he's ready to be up. And I do trust this front office to make the right pitching decisions because they did. And they were a part of those, those decisions in, in, uh, Cleveland and in, Texas with the Rangers but I just think the value in him starting the year in the five-man major league rotation is working with a guy like Jason Castro I want to say I don't know what else Jose Barrios has to prove in the minor leagues I'd like to see him start to prove it in the major leagues with a catcher who is notably good at calling games at managing young pitching staffs 
um, at, at managing behind the plate with teams that have lost 100 games and that are used to losing and then turn those seasons around into playoff yeah. runs. I'd like to see Jose Brios work with Jason Castro because I don't think there's a whole lot more to glean um, yeah. from his minor league experience. That's a very fair point. I talked to Barrios this morning as we record this podcast, and he threw a bullpen. He threw. He's always notoriously like hyper ready. I mean, he's athletic and he's got a ridiculous work ethic. And if you follow him on Instagram or Twitter or anything, he makes it very clear that he's working out literally all winter while we're sitting on the couch eating potato chips, watching the Super Bowl. He's doing like fifty reverse crunches and running up hills, doing sprints in the sand. So like. He he is going to make it as a big league pitcher. It's just, will he be a fifth starter? I think his floor is as a fifth starter or like a reliever. It's just, can he reach his ceiling as being a number two, number three starter? That I have some questions about. Your point is very fair that in a year that you don't expect to contend for the World Series, well, maybe it's just a developing year. Maybe you try to find a way to get that guy in there instead of like a a, like a Kyle Gibson or a Hector Santiago because you view Boreas as more a part of the future. And fair is fair. I don't disagree with that point. Um, I do think one thing that we never talk about on roster projections that just needs to be said for the sake of this podcast is that injuries happen all the time and spring training is no exception. And if we're trying to pick the first five, we might be doing ourselves an injustice because hey, it's going to look different in three or five or seven weeks when the regular season opens. Um, But this is just how I rank them. I line them up one through five like this right now. The other point that I want to make on Boreos before we we move off, because it's certainly not the only thing you'll disagree with on my roster, he's going to be pitching for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. I'm not saying the Twins are going to hold that against him and that that's going to cost him a roster spot, but he definitely has less runway in spring training to really be able to show. It's like Trevor May last year. Nominally, he was in the competition for the starting rotation. And anytime Paul Molitor talked about it or Terry Ryan, they said, yeah, he's one of the seven guys we're thinking about for the rotation. I call BS on that because he makes one start in Sarasota, gets lit up by the Orioles, and suddenly he's yanked and he's the eighth inning guy. I think the Twins went into spring training knowing they wanted May in the bullpen last year and just had to sort of you know, put window dressing on it and pretend like he was going to compete for a starting spot just in case, you know, if somebody gets hurt and you're down to your like seventh or eighth option, well, then fine. We'll we'll stretch Trevor May out and let him be a starting pitcher. Um, I think two things. I think May has to be in that competition this year and he can make that starting staff better. Secondly, I think that Barrales on such a short runway is really going to have, personally for me, this is my opinion, this is not speaking on behalf of the Twins, he'd really have to show me a lot against game-ready competition in spring training to show me that the fastball is ready for the next level. And if he's going to have to leave for a little bit of time to go pitch for his country, which I fully respect and everything, I just don't know that that short of a runway allows you the real audition that you need to make this top five for the Twins. Well, if he's lights out against international competition, that would help. I, I certainly. That count. That I, actually, too. if I remember right, I think it helped Sam Deduno a few years ago. I, I feel like yeah. Sam Deduno was like really good in the World Baseball Classic and was pumping his fist and stuff. Um, the, the, one other thing I'll say, and then we'll move on to the relievers here. Uh, sure. I like Trevor May in the rotation. You and I are in lockstep on this. I like it. I think he has a lot more upside in the rotation than uh, Tyler Duffy, who really only has one major league pitch, that curveball right now. And um, I'm not sure when we get to the end of the year, I'm not sure if 
if Irvin Santana, Hector Santiago, and or Phil Hughes will even be on the roster anymore. I mean, there's a good chance that if any of those guys starts out hot, the Twins would look to move them. Or um, or maybe, you know, Phil Hughes has had the injury issues, so he, right. who knows if he's good for a full season. But, um, but yeah, I think Trevor May has a good chance and will get a good crack at it here in spring training. Okay, the, the relievers. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, what I've been told on that front just before we get to the relievers is that this year uh, it is expected, based on me comparing the way they talked about it, you know, kind of behind the scenes last year and everything that I heard, and the same – this year, kind of comparing how it's being talked about or whatever, just the sense that I get from the situation from all parties involved is that it's going to be a much more serious consideration this year, that you can basically pencil in Trevor May, in my opinion, right now to the top five. Derek Falvey, by the way, we talked to him this morning as a group of media that's down here. He is not going to say anything when he's done with his baseball career. He should run for political office because he was asked a bunch of different times about well, who's in the rotation? Who's in competition? And he wouldn't not not only would he not put names on it, he wouldn't put a number on it. Uh, the number of guys he said he just said, well, we're certainly considering a lot of people, and we'd like to keep our options open. We feel a lot of the pitchers are capable of being either starters or relievers, and we'd like to delay that decision as long as possible. I can't oh, wait. I, I can't voice. wait. I want to get him on my radio show next week just to ask him meta questions like, hey, what can I ask you right now that will get you to open up about yourself or your <laughs> yeah, life well, or your thoughts? Uh, you you, you ask him. the questions I, and I'll just nod while you answer those same questions. <laughs> I said, uh, I said, OK, let's like he, he I won't say that he was evading the answer, but he was, gave a very political answer on starting rotation. We just want as reporters, we just want to know who's being considered like. Is Justin Haley in the competition? Is Adalberto Mejia, is he going to get a look? Or, like, is he a reliever? Or just what's going on here? And uh, uh, Falvey wouldn't talk about anyone in specifics. That's fine. Uh, Haley, by the way, will be a starting pitcher at first. And then kind of if he needs to be, you know, ushered over to the bullpen like some other guys, he'll have that flexibility. But I said, okay, so, like, you mentioned six names. Um, you didn't put names to them, but like, are we talking six guys? Uh, this is me following up on a basically non-answer to a question. I said, are we talking six guys in the rotation competition, or is it like eight or twenty? And he said, well, it's not twenty, but I think it's more than six. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, sounds good. So somewhere between the five starting pitchers who were on last year. And the 31 pitchers who are in spring training this year for the Twins, somewhere in between that, you'll find the competition for the Twins starting rotation. Love it. Love it. I love yeah, – you know what? It's fine. We've got, we've got a few more Bill Belichicks in this town running teams than before. Yes. When Terry That's Ryan and Flip Saunders were running the Twins and the Wolves, it was all day, 24-7 media access. Whoever wanted anything got it, and now it's full lockdown, shutdown mode. And if that leads yep. to – uh, 10 years of winning for both franchises, I think fans and media, uh, I mean, yes. m- media might not take the trade-off, but I think fans would take the trade-off. Here's the thing, and we'll we'll get to the bullpen here in a quick second, but we will, as media, and I'm, I'm not necessarily throwing myself into this group, but I'll throw myself under the bus here for this, this purpose. We are going to gripe about anything. If you are open access, if you are closed access, if you do not talk to us on odd-numbered days, if you have media access on a Fridays, if, God forbid, news breaks on a Saturday when we're trying to enjoy some time at the lake or something like that, 
We are just going to complain about everything. Do not make a single decision with the media in mind. You should only be focused on winning baseball games or caring about what your fans think about you. I am fully on board with uh, both Derek Falvey and Thad Levine totally shutting us out as media members. I think it'll make the podcast worse, but... I think if you're a Twins fan, you'll take that trade off because you probably weren't listening to the Touch Em All podcast anyway. You just want to see your Twins win 95 games again. You'll take that all day. Uh, the Touch Em All podcast. We, we appreciate all of you who've stuck with the Touch Em All podcast during these dark days the last six months, too. Yeah. Um, uh, we're, we're doing record numbers these days on the Touch Em All. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the support's been overwhelming. <laughs> Um, bullpen. You have seven uh, bullpen members here yeah. to break camp on your projected 25-man Closer, yep. Brandon Kinsler. Setup man, Ryan Presley. Lefties, Taylor Rogers and Ryan O'Rourke. And then righties, Matt Belisle, who just came over. He's been in the National League for about a decade. Uh, JT Shagwa and Michael Tonkin. One more crack at it for Michael Tonkin. Michael Tonkin, by the way, led Twins relievers in strikeout rate and I think total strikeouts, period. But yeah. very hittable. He was he was very yeah. hittable. It's it's sort of weird when you see Kyle Farnsworth used to be this way too, where he'd strike out ten batters per nine, uh, but he had such a straight fastball that he would just if he if he didn't hit his locations or get ahead in counts, then hitters would sit on that thing and they would blast it. So uh, and you've got Glenn Perkins off. Obviously, he just threw a bullpen session, which you watched and put a video up on our website today. So that's your bullpen. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, Perkins is off it for me just because I if I if I had to guess, I'd say he opens the year on the disabled list just because this is such a tough surgery to come back from. With that being said, Perkins very well could prove me wrong, be ahead of schedule, and open the year as the team's closer. That's within the realm of possibility. For now, I have backup plan number one, which I think is Kinsler in closer. The other backup plans for me, and maybe this changes by the time we post this podcast, but Ryan Presley should get legitimate consideration to be the twins next closer whenever perkins is done um i think i think twins uh the twins will need to find a perkins replacement at some point that's just the mortality of baseball players it's how it works um i think presley could be in that mix and and should get a look uh the so so backup plan number one kinsler backup plan number two is it presley i don't know Backup plan number three would be like a younger kid that you're hoping a couple years down the road, whether it's a JT Shagwa or like Nick Birdie, or if Tyler J is a reliever or something like that. That seems less likely to me. Backup plan number four for 2017. Joel Bland is still a free agent as we record this podcast and newsflash to 30 major league teams. Joel Bland has been a great reliever the last two years. I don't know why he's unemployed. I don't think I've it's had... about that, though. I Honestly, my guess is Joel Blanton and his and his representatives know that he's really good, and it's more about – it's not about will he be on a team. It's probably about right. our teams willing to go two, three years and like 18 to $20 million guaranteed right. on that deal. Correct. Joe Blanton, if you're holding out for two years, I cannot blame you because you should not have to bet on your 2017 season – uh, with that being said, if you want to close, the Twins might be looking for a closer in the near future. Uh, I don't think Blanton would be like the best closer in baseball, but put a good reliever in the ninth inning and he's going to rack up saves. That's just how it works. And he'd be the playing for my- a contender at the end of the year if they trade him. I mean, that would be a yeah. – if the Twins could spin a closer and get something of substance for that closer and then yeah. that guy gets to jump from a 100-loss team to a pennant race, that would be the best right. for all parties. <laughs> best of both worlds if you're Joe Blanton, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I think that uh, the bullpen still doesn't look excellent to me. I mean, the, some of the names you just mentioned off – that. A lot of fans will be like, oh, puke, that's a terrible bullpen. How 
how would you expect that to even be reasonable? Michael Tonkin's an interesting one because I watch him pitch and I'm like, oh, this guy, no, this isn't going to work. He, this doesn't. Work. But then you look at his stat line at the end of the season, and you're like, oh, interesting. He had way more success than I thought he did. I thought of him as like a hittable fastball pitcher who doesn't know how to set up hitters and lets guys steal bases at will. And then I look at his numbers at the end of the season, and I'm like, oh, he might actually be like a bullpen piece. He might be like a guy with that big fastball. That might be all you need for the middle innings. Um, but he's an interesting one. The other one, Taylor Rogers is quietly a fairly good lefty to have out in the bullpen. I'd heard kind of whispers that other teams were calling the twins on Taylor Rogers, that they might be interested in him as a lefty for their bullpen. And if I'm the twins, of course, I'm going to listen to those, but I might be more tempted just to keep him, hang on to him. He's a young lefty that is under team control, a decent contract that You've got control of if he can get outs from the left side in your bullpen, that's a valuable commodity. I've also heard, Phil, behind the scenes that Brian O'Rourke, he was obviously, we've seen his minor league numbers, he was excellent against lefties. Like they had a zero, like no shot against Ryan O'Rourke in the minor leagues if you're left handed and hit from that side of the plate. In the big leagues, it's not been quite as dominant, but still pretty decent. If you're if you're affording a spot for a situational lefty. I think Ryan O'Rourke has to get some serious consideration, and I put him ahead of guys like Craig Breslow right now just because I haven't seen anything from Breslow, and I'm hesitant to buy into this whole reinvented delivery uh, that's going to save his career at age 36, 37. Um, I I don't know for sure what's going to happen there. I'm definitely curious on Craig Breslow, but I left him off for now in favor of a guy like O'Rourke, who I've heard the the statistical models that the Twins have just say that he's – not only good against lefties, but in time, he should also be great against righties, and they might have kind of a, a, a sleeper on their hands. So we'll see if that pans out because his surface numbers obviously don't blow you away, and you don't say, that guy de- demands a spot in the Twins' bullpen. But if I'm buying stock and we're trading like penny stocks here, I'd probably try and buy some Ryan O'Rourke right now based on what I've heard and what I've seen um, from him. So it's not like it's not a lights-out bullpen by any means, but – there are some signs of encouragement, and and who knows? They could be, uh, they could take a, a step forward this year. And that, if that group is better, that obviously helps the pitching staff as a whole. But it it really helps the team an untold amount because how many games they just, I don't know if I can say that word on on the Touch 'Em All pocket. How many games they frittered away last year by having a, a leaky bullpen? Um, Kevin Jepsen specifically just blowing games. It was it was a real problem for the Twins last year. They didn't really do anything to address it. But despite that fact, I could actually see it being like somewhat decent in 2017. Call me crazy. Hey, guys, before we continue on with the rest of this Touch em All podcast, it's Phil Mackey here for all of you Twin Cities area listeners to tell you about Luther Brookdale Toyota. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. My family and I have been going to this car dealership and service department for three plus decades And there's a reason for that. It's the best in the business, the smartest and friendliest people in the business. They'll treat you like family. So find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for multiple decades, right on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard, LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Well, again, uh, much of our... Uh, much of our tone and conversations uh, this offseason going, I mean, it, it's hard to do anything but go upward with most things Twins-related. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, everything was bottom-feeding except for 
uh, the offensive power, which I think because they kept Brian Dozier has a chance to go up again too. They might even hit more than 200 home runs this year if you look up and down the roster. But I, I think there's a few uh, a few things to be sure about with this bullpen, and I'll make my comments brief because I want to get to the infield before we run out of time on the podcast. But Brandon Kinsler is one of the elite, I'm going to use the word elite, ground ball-inducing relievers in baseball. Just to give you an idea, if you're getting 50% grounders, that's a really good ground ball rate. He's getting almost 60% for his career. In the last two years, uh, if you you throw in the handful of innings with the Brewers in 2015, so the last 60 innings or so, he's well up over 62%. He's right around 62.5% ground ball rate. I'm going real geeky on you there. Uh, the last couple of years. So he kills worms. I don't think he's a closer necessarily because I don't think he gets enough strikeouts. But I think coming in as a firefighter with runners on base, you need a ground ball double play with one out and runners on first and second. Uh, I think he's a valuable piece to a bullpen, maybe not as a super high leverage guy. I think Ryan Presley's got some staying power. I'm not sure if he has the upside that you're talking about as a closer, um, but I, I do think he has bullpen bridge potential. They got enough lefties, whether it's Taylor Rogers or Ryan O'Rourke. Uh, they've got Randy Rosario, uh, Bud, Buddy Boshier. Yeah, they've got a ton of lefties on their forty-man roster, so they can figure out the yeah. lefty spots. And then yeah. you know the other ones, like the, the high upside guy is JT Shagwa. I like I like the fact that Matt Belisle is here to give you some stability in that six. It's a better bullpen on paper, even without Glenn Perkins, than at most of the times uh, last year. Let's jump to the to the position players here, Derek. With the infield, you have. Uh, your starting infield is Jason Castro, Joe Maurer, Brian Dozier, Miguel Sano, Jorge Polanco, and D.H. Kenny Vargas. Not a whole lot of surprises there, so just uh, quick comments on that. The same group that I picked in January, and in January I took some heat for keeping Byung-Ho Park off of the starting D.H. spot and sending him to Rochester. Good call. I said that, and some people were surprised by it. The Twins then turned around and surprised even me, who was so down on Byung-Ho Park at the time, by taking him off the 40-man roster for crying out loud. So clearly, uh, no matter what, and here's how the Twins are going to try to spin it, by the way. I can almost predict this because I know how executives work and I know how sports work. Uh, They are going to say something about, no, we still value Byung-Ho Park. We still think he's in competition for the opening day DH spot. We still value him as a player and think he's an important part of the organization going forward. B.S. There's no chance that's true. You would not take a guy like that off the roster, put him on waivers. If you thought he was opening day DH caliber, you would not expose him to every other team possibly claiming him and taking the contract, stealing him away from you for nothing so that you could sign a seventh-inning reliever, Matt Belisle. I'm sorry. I'm just not willing to buy that for one second. So I was down on park before it was cool, and now it's really cool, I guess. I will say... Park goes to Rochester and hits some home runs. It's a very interesting conversation to, okay, A, is he in competition now for the DH spot, and could he earn that back over the course of the year if Kenny Vargas doesn't pan out? B, are you willing to put a couple bats on your bench when you're probably only dealing with a four-man bench or maybe a three-man bench if you go to a bigger bullpen? Are you willing to put a guy who could just every once in a while poke one out uh, on your bench, and I don't know if if I'm Paul Molitor, I think I'm very hesitant to do something like that. I'd much rather have guys yeah. with positional flexibility. If you're only talking about 
really three bench spots because one of them has to go to a catcher all the time. Yeah, you, you nailed it with position flexibility. That's what that's what's winning right now in baseball. And you can find these positionless corner infield. Um, well, not not counting third base. So you can find these DH first base hide them right. in right field yeah. types that can hit home runs. You can find I me. Mean, Mike Napoli was available if you really wanted that on your team. Kenny Vargas. I'd rather run out there with Kenny Vargas, who's a half decade younger. I believe he's 25 or 26, and see what he has. Then Byung-ho Park, who's 30, going to be 31 years old during the season or toward the end of the season. I'm sorry, you don't get two or three years to come over here at that age. If he was 22 or 23, I'd be more patient with him, but I don't think you're going to regret it. And like I said, you can always go sign somebody. There's always going to be the next Johnny Gomes to sign for $5 million if you want just a DH or, uh, or just sort of a positionless power bat. Yeah, and well, Vargas is a little older than you're thinking. I don't remember his exact age, but I think he broke into the bigs at 26, and I want to say that was 2014. If I if I had a guess, and I don't have it in front of me, I think he's 28. So Whoa. Vargas also in kind of a like, okay, bud, prove it this year. Go ahead. Um, Byung-ho Park, though, same deal, because unlike his uh, countryman, Jung-ho Gong, who plays for the Pirates, he can play second base, shortstop, and third base. Park doesn't really have a position. He's just a bat, and he's just going to try to hit home runs to center field. Well, if those dry up or you can't make enough contact to hit enough of those out of the park, sorry, no pun intended, there's not, like, any saving grace. You have, like, no salvageable value. There's not really a redeeming quality that makes you rosterable. And so he's going to have to prove the power. He's going to have to prove it in spring training, and I think he's going to have to prove it in AAA, too. Vargas, to me, is no sure thing by any means, but – I'm really curious about his right-handed swing, some of his success against lefties. He seems to be like an interesting fit to go with Joe Maurer if you're talking about a potential platoon situation. If you're willing to devote a roster spot to that, it could get interesting because I think Joe Maurer was so terrible against lefties last year. You're going to see him on the bench a lot this season. Um, that is going to be an interesting dynamic to me. But, but I mean, you, you listed the rest of the infielders there, Phil. Really, no surprises. I don't see anybody popping up and taking the shortstop job. I think Sano's written in concrete at third base, like may, or unless you think Sano's going to be a DH. But from everything I'm hearing behind the scenes, the Twins are challenging Sano to be a better position player, to be a better fielder, to be more athletic at third base and make the plays. I think that's an important calling card for them this year is sort of asking him to take the onus on himself, which – the Twins tried to do last year, but it didn't work out. In fact, it blew up in their face when they tried to ask him to do it in right field, a position he'd never played. I think it's a little bit more realistic to say, okay, kid, here's your shot. Trevor Plouffe's gone. Third base is yours. What do you got? I'm curious to see how Sano responds to that challenge. Uh, for the record, Kenny Vargas is not hes not filing for an AARP card quite yet. He's only 26 years old. So you have him really? at, you have him at uh, like cubicle retirement age, and he's, yeah. he's only 26 years old. St- 26 yeah, okay. is st- I yeah, 26 is still time to get going age, but um, yeah. just to clear well, that up. This will be his last option year, so despite the age, despite the fact that he won't be able to apply for the senior discount at the movies this year, um, still go ahead and prove it. This is your make or break year if you're Kenny Vargas. And then I'm going to lump in the starting outfield with the bench all in one because uh, obviously there's a, there's someone missing here from the starting outfield that you can help fill in. So the last seven players on your 25-man are Left fielder Robbie Grossman, center fielder Byron Buxton, right fielder Max Kepler, 
And then uh, the bench would be a four-man group of uh, a quartet, if you will, of Eduardo Escobar, Eddie Rosario. Uh, is it? Uh, I believe it's A. Ray Adrianza. It's pronounced yep. the infielder the Twins just claimed from uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, and then Chris Jimenez. Am I yes. getting that right? Chris Jimenez, the new backup catcher it. who spent time in Cleveland, working on my new Twins it. pronunciations here. Yeah, I was gonna say you uh, you should be writing the media guide this year because you are uh, yeah you were seven for seven there. You even got Robbie Grossman right. Um, I am. Did I, I get? Am, and don't, I'm, I'm gonna get Drew Stubbs right when we go over the non roster guys too. I've been practicing I, that one, Drew Stubbs. And for the record, it's JB Shuck. Make sure you really you gotta you gotta make sure you get that one right. You're Careful, right. it's tongue twister. Um, I will say that. This is sort of just like a meta observation of Twins followers right now. Despite the overwhelming popularity of the Touch Em All podcast, I don't think very many people care about the Twins right now. Because if this was like a super popular team and everybody was like really invested like they would be with the Vikings, everybody knows who the 53rd guy on the Vikings are uh, is. And a lot of people know the 10 guys on the practice squad, or at least have heard of them. But when I put Robbie Grossman in the starting outfield spot over a popular guy like Eddie Rosario in January and then again in February, I basically didn't hear anything about it. I heard no backlash. There was not like this big wave of criticism, which I expected. I'll try and be as brief as I can in my Grossman over Rosario argument. And it's more of like a it's more of a prove to me what you have Rosario than a oh my gosh, Robbie Grossman, Twins Hall of Famer. It's it's much more the former than the latter. And I just believe in Grossman's offensive skill set more than I do Rosario's. Rosario looks like a guy that has a better hit tool. My biggest problem with him in some is that he thinks he's Vladimir Guerrero and he's not Vladimir Guerrero. He, he thinks he can hit that ball at his eyes over the fence, and problematically, he does every once in a while. If he hits that ball let's say 5% of the time, but he happens to connect on two that leave the yard. Well, now he thinks he can expand his strike zone from like the middle of his torso up 18 inches to his eyeballs. And that's a huge problem because if you're only connecting 5% in that threshold, then I'm, I'm just totally making up that percentage. But that means you're swinging and missing an awful lot and you're super susceptible to pitchers exploiting you up in the zone. They all see that. They know the scouting reports out. Rosario loves to swing at everything. If you bounce a, a, a 12-6 curveball off the plate, there's like a non-zero chance Eddie Rosario's going to swing through it trying to hit a home run. And I only think that's a problem because he doesn't connect. He doesn't have these like elite eye-hand skills that Vlad Guerrero seemed to have, at least anecdotally throughout his career. He's going to swing and miss an awful lot, and if you're not developing uh, into a big power threat, that's a problem. If Rosario can't post on-base percentages of 300, which I think he's failed to do in both of his seasons, that's that's an issue. Whereas Robbie Grossman, trust me, I'm not expecting him to repeat his career best season at the plate last year. But even after he cooled off and even after you didn't hear really anything about him after Grossman mania to start his Twins career, he still posted a 380 on-base percentage, which was Almost a hundred points higher than what Rosario did. You know, here not to completely derail your Eddie. I just something just struck me because I never thought of these two guys in that way. Yeah. Uh, but Robbie Grossman, he's a he's a switch hitter. Yeah. Robbie Grossman, far better as a right-handed hitter against left-handed yes. pitching. 
In yes. fact, I, it's it's almost to the point where he should just face left-handed pitching and uh, sort of scrap the left-handed swing. His yep. OPS is almost 800 against left-handed pitching, and it's below 700 against right-handed pitching. Well, Eddie Rosario, who's a left-handed hitter, Eddie Rosario is actually pretty equal against both sides, but you could pretty safely put Eddie Rosario out there in a platoon situation against right-handed pitching where he hits for a ton of power, uh, yep. and, and Robbie Grossman could be this offensive uh, influx against left-handed pitchers, which you'd only face about 25 or 30% of your games anyway. So yeah. I, I, I almost I, think you're looking at a left-field platoon here. It's possible, and I've thought about that as well. I just think I, I'd like to see Rosario become the complete player, and I don't mean to sound like Terry Ryan here and say we only like complete players around here. I think there's definite value in platooning, but I think that his overall approach is just so concerning for me for Rosario because I also saw him take a step back defensively and running the bases last year. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what it was. It's just he wasn't as good of a baseball player in 2016 as he was in 2015. I'd like to see him correct that. But the the basic, like, 30,000-foot view, if you're coming in and looking at a guy like Robbie Grossman with his career track record and looking at a guy like Eddie Rosario and his career track record or or apparent trajectory – and you're saying, hey, one of these guys is a fourth outfielder and one of them is a promising young cornerstone of your future. Like, it's pretty obvious Grossman would be the fourth outfielder in that circumstance. And and that so that's not to, like, overlook the potential that Rosario exhibits. Um, and, and, yeah, the platoon splits were super harsh last year. And I think they even got worse as the year went on and Grossman sort of cooled off from from being this, like, shot out of a cannon godsend for the twins offense for a couple of weeks uh when when he first signed or when he when he first got called up to the majors um it's just that spot to me on my roster is more of a criticism of rosario than it is a praise of grossman i could see it going either way with rosario i could see him refining his strike zone shoring up his play discipline and figuring out which pitches he can do damage against and which he has no business swinging at if he refines that Boom. Starting outfielder, done. Impact player for the Twins to go with Byron Buxton and Mac Kepler. You're talking about a great outfield alignment. If he can't, and maybe I'm just being too critical of the guy because I aesthetically I don't like his game as much, but I see kind of like a fourth outfielder type of guy. I've run that opinion by a couple of evaluators with the Twins, and every single one of them has told me I'm crazy. So take that for what it's worth. The Twins don't agree with me on that. They say, you're you're overestimating the you know, strike zone discipline. I had one person who's really smart about this stuff tell me, I think that you are expecting that who he is at 24 is who he's always going to be. And one thing you need to look at is guys develop. And sometimes the hit tool is just the last thing that comes through for a player like Eddie Rosario. You know, totally possible. And I'm totally willing to admit that I could be wrong here over the long haul. It's just the guy I see right now at least in 2016 in Eddie Rosario, more of a fourth outfielder than the impact bat. I just don't see him in the same conversation as Buxton and Kepler. With all that being said, I could be totally wrong, and Rosario could just blow me away in spring training, prove he's a better player, and then I'll shut up about this uh, Eddie Rosario. Yeah, so I mean, again, the more I think about it, I, I believe you're, uh, you're, you're staring at a classic platoon situation if you want to go with... Uh, pop against right-handed pitching. Eddie Rosario gives you a ton of extra base pop against right-hand, and yeah. I think he gives you pretty clearly the better defense in left field. So it's a pretty perfect platoon in that Rosario would play in 75% of the games or 75% of the plate appearances. Yeah. 
because he'd be facing mostly you know, right-handed pitching, and you'd also get 75% of the best defense between the two of them. Yeah. So I yeah. really, the more I think about this, it's not, it's not an either-or. It's a both situation, and both will be the fourth outfielder, and both will be um, uh, yes. the starting left fielder at times. Yeah. We got to figure out then if it's a lefty or a righty on the hill on opening day, April right. 3rd, to figure out who's going to be on the opening day roster. Right, exactly. And then one other thing um, before we wrap up this podcast, uh, I guess, well, t- two things. Number one, you have uh, A. Ray Adrianza on the bench as kind of a, he's a, a shortstop, second base, can probably just be your defensive uh, middle infielder that, uh, that can play any position. If you look at him historically with the Giants, he's, he, his bat is. He's basically swinging a rolled up wet Star Tribune. I mean, he and that's in the National League. And so my question is, with Jorge Polanco at shortstop and Brian Dozier still on the roster until you trade him at second base, and you're looking at a left side of the infield that's going to be potentially atrocious defensively with Polanco um, maybe not being a starting caliber shortstop and maybe Miguel Sano uh, as a bottom ten defensive third baseman. You know, you're you hope that they can fulfill some of their upside at those positions, but it's possible you have a second baseman playing shortstop and a first baseman slash DH playing third. And I wonder at what point you have to just put a really good defensive shortstop out there to help your pitching staff. That's, that's also the reason why I like Rosario better than Grossman because I need defense to help this pitching staff more than I need an extra uh, 10 home runs at a certain position. Yep, and totally possible. Um, I think that your point on defense is sound. I, I don't know what to think of this Adrianza guy yet. I haven't seen him. I've only heard the reports and heard uh, from Derek Falvey that they like his glove. They like it at short and second base. I think he also played some third for the Giants, so kind of more like a utility infielder kind of guy. I'm not ready to just punt on offense at that position just because I think Polanco could be so good for a shortstop offensively. Uh, but I need to see the glove a little bit before I start buying it. And frankly, on the bench here, I took Adrianza ahead of a guy like Danny Santana, who's out of options, which this basically means bye-bye Danny Santana. Uh, just because I don't trust Danny Santana at any defensive position, and he's not a good hitter, so I don't really know what redeemable skill he has that he demands a 25-man roster spot. I think if guys get hurt and he's an extra player – that just is like still around. Well then fine. You got kind of forced into a situation, but if everybody's healthy at the end of spring training, I think I'd rather have a guy who profiles to be positive, uh, contributing at three different infield positions defensively than a guy who like not only can't hit, but also can't really play any defensive position. Danny Santana is a classic example to me of tools over production. He had a great 2014 season. And we've talked at length on this podcast and in other places about how that was a lot of luck, an awful lot of luck if you look at his minor league track record and things like his batting average on balls in play. He just wasn't going to repeat that season. I've And he's got a super strong arm, and he moves around quick, right? So, like, you see, okay, well, he's really putting it together. No, I just I don't see enough at shortstop. I don't think he can play third base. I haven't seen him at second base. He's obviously not a DH, and, like, He's not a good center fielder. So to me, the Adrianza was more like, I'm taking a guy who's on the bench who can potentially play a bunch of different positions and help me out that way rather than a uh, than a Danny Santana or than like a platoon bench bat like a Pedro Alvarez who will come in and hit righties and then just sit the rest of the time and never play defense. I, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense for the Twins to go that route versus just have a guy that can catch the ball and hope – hope, hope, hope 
that over the long haul, Jorge Polanco actually can play shortstop and hit. Right on. Um, and then before we wrap up here, I'll throw out, I'll throw out his name again because he's intriguing in that he was very relevant as a player as recently as 2014. And at one point was, I don't know if he made an all-star game, but was a borderline all-star caliber player for a couple of years with the Reds in the National League. So my question is, non-roster invite that most intrigues you, even though you listed a couple on your 25-man roster projection, and, uh, and why does that player intrigue you? And the one that intrigues me, I don't think he makes the team, but Drew Stubbs. Uh, Drew Stubbs in 2000, now he's 32 years old here, so I'm talking about his prime, his mid to late 20s, when he was with the Reds, 22 home runs, 30 stolen bases, pretty good defense in the outfield, uh, and even as recently as 2014 with the Rockies, 15 home runs, 20 stolen bases, he scored some runs, batted 289, uh, got on base at a 340 clip, but then he mixes in these clunker seasons where he strikes out 40% of the time, and, he, and he's been injured yeah. and, and mostly irrelevant for the past two years, uh, multiple teams in play. Yeah. Um, Stubbs, not that interesting to me. I wrote him up for the website, 1500ESPN.com, but like, it's a bit of a stretch. It reminds me a lot last year of when the Twins uh, gave a shot to Ryan Sweeney and Carlos Quentin, and those guys had decent springs and didn't make the team. It's kind of more like hey, if we have some injuries or you shock us with your swing and your production, well, that's the reason we brought you in on an audition. But the Twins have 62 players in camp. Not all of them can be interesting, to be honest with you. You're putting me on the spot a little bit with some non-roster guys, but I know I put at least one non-roster guy on the 25-man that I projected, and that was Chris Jimenez. I think uh, Adrienne's is on the roster, I'm sorry. But, yeah, so uh, Jimenez is the one guy um, that you put on here. Yeah. I put I put Jimenez on there, and it makes – I mean, it's interesting. The backup catcher battle is basically a three-headed race the way I see it right now. John Ryan Murphy, Mitch Garver, and Jimenez. I'm curious about Jimenez. I haven't seen him in person, and his stats aren't that pretty. But if you look at his platoon splits, he's actually pretty decent. Um, if he's going to face lefties and Jason Castro is going to face righties, you might have a decent catching platoon on your hands there. And you notice a trend. We're talking about that a lot of different positions because the Twins don't have very many complete players. So you can only do that at so many spots. There's only X number of roster spots. You can't say, okay, platoon, 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 then platoon, platoon, and platoon here. It it doesn't work like that. But Jimenez intrigues me for that reason. And I've heard that he's just kind of one of those guys that'll pick that. It, it's cliched and we're not going to be able to quantify it as a stats guy. I can't put a number on this but that he sort of rises the tide. He raises the tide of the team. He makes his teammates better. For whatever that's worth, if that's true, the Twins should be looking for as many of those players as possible. They should also be looking for as many good players as possible, and that takes priority in my mind. Um, But another non-roster guy that's intriguing, I don't think he'll make the team, but he's at least caught my interest. Craig Breslow, the lefty reliever who was with the Twins years ago, has apparently reinvented himself, and they're talking about new arm slot, whatever. If that changes who he is as a pitcher over the past three seasons, I'm at least curious. But if you're looking at his stats page, eh, not that intriguing, not that interesting. I tend to not buy into the whole career reinvention stuff. I'm pretty skeptical about that by nature. But if you read and hear about the way Breslow has gone about reinventing himself – using things like tracking his uh, horizontal and vertical release point, his spin rate, uh, his uh, his path to the plate, and just learning how perceptually things would look to a hitter and trying to optimize that and then fix his rotation around that premise. 
That's some really fascinating stuff. I almost hope it works out just so it becomes more prevalent in baseball. But if you're talking about betting on a guy making the team, I'm not so sure I'm as high on some uh, on someone like Breslow as I, as I apparently other people um, around here have been. They're, intriguing is what you ask, though. And so if you're talking about capturing my interest, definitely Breslow, definitely Jimenez. Uh, I think we should make it a goal to get Craig Breslow on the Touch 'Em All podcast, just a geek speak co- a podcast about sabermetrics and spin rates and um, astrophysicism. What do you think? Honestly. Honestly, he should probably host the podcast, and if he did, I, I would willingly bow out because I'm guessing he would speak at a level like that I'm not even capable of comprehending. I think that would be a lot of fun. I mean, uh, when I watch episodes of Family Guy and The Simpsons, they're speaking at levels that you and I aren't capable of <laughs> speaking at. So the bar isn't quite as high as we probably think it is. 